What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Dissect That Film, where we dissect your favorite films, film franchises, and TV. Today is a little bit of a special episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm doing it solo, as you can tell. Just me. But today, we're also doing something a little bit different than we usually do. I am going to be reviewing two movies on this newest episode. One movie that I saw a while ago and I've been meaning to make an episode of and I just haven't had the chance. And another one I literally saw as of this recording yesterday that I'm also very excited to talk about. That's why we're doing this. But I asked all of you wonderful people over on Twitter if I should do it this way where I do it with two, you know, I review two movies or um, do the black phone at a later date. You guys wanted me to do both of them, so here I am. I'm doing both of them, and I'm doing it solo today. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the black phone first. We'll take a little break, and then we'll come back, and we're going to talk about Nope. If you're new to the show, Fresh Cuts, what we do is we talk about new release movies, either that are in theaters or uh, that strictly come out on streaming services. Uh, we've done a couple movies in the past that have been strictly on Netflix or Hulu or other streaming services. Uh, but these two I saw in the theaters and, um, unfortunately Dan and Angela didn't, uh, wasn't, weren't able to see it. So, uh, that's why they're not on the show. Um, so it's me. Hello. Um, so yeah, we're going to start off with the black phone and then, uh, we'll talk about Nope. So what we're going to do is spoiler free in the beginning. I'm going to give you my thoughts spoiler free on what I thought about the movie. And then I will give you a warning and then I will, I am going to talk about stuff with spoilers and I'm going to do the same for Nope. So it's going to be a little weird. I'm going to try to do something in, on YouTube and I'll try to give you guys some warning. And I'm going to put some timestamps uh, in the description so you guys can go to certain parts of the video. Or if you're on podcast services, you can go to certain parts of, of the recording and, uh, you know, not, you know, get spoiled or, or whatever. And you can go to certain points. If you haven't seen the black phone, but just want to listen to my thoughts on Nope, you'll be able to do all that. Hopefully with ease. I'm going to try to make it as easy as possible for everybody. So here we go. Let's talk about The Black Phone. So The Black Phone was directed by Scott Derrickson, who is uh, well-known for, uh, of course, the first Doctor Strange. It's kind of one of those things that maybe some people don't know that he was the director of that movie. But yes, he did the first Doctor Strange movie. But the movie that I think most people will know him from is uh, his a very, very good horror film, Sinister. So this is kind of a return to form from, you know, Sinister. He didn't do Sinister 2. He went on to do Marvel stuff. Uh, he did the first Doctor Strange, and he was going to do Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, but things changed, and he stepped away from the project and decided to do The Black Phone, which is a is based on a novella, or a short story, uh, from Joe Hill, son of Stephen King. So you kind of have that sort of feel. But Joe Hill has put on some good stuff that has been turned into some pretty good uh, live-action things. Um, Nosferatu, AMC did a couple years ago. Uh, really enjoyed that show. Uh, Joe Hill's stuff, you know, top-notch, and uh, I think they did a really good job bringing uh, this story to the big screen. So this film stars uh, some newcomers. we got Jason Thams. We have Madeline McGraw, who we're going to talk about into some uh, more detail once we get uh, to the spoilers. Uh, she is my MVP of this movie. She was fantastic, but we'll talk a little bit more about her later. Uh, Jeremy Davies, who, uh, for me, 
Jeremy Davies is one of the uh, many characters from Twister. Um, and uh, he was the voice of Balder in the 2018 God of War. Those are those are my things. I know he's been in some uh, some other stuff that people uh, it's more well known. But uh, those are those are the things that kind of bring me back when I see when I see this guy. Uh, Jane's Ransom uh, and, of course, the titular character, the man who's on all the posters, the creepiest character in this movie, uh, Ethan Hawke. As our our villain of this story. So this was produced by Jason Blum, of course, as a Blumhouse film and uh, Blumhouse hit or miss uh, lately. They've been putting out some really good stuff. Uh, then, of course, they're uh, he is behind a lot of modern horror, but also he's in control right now of the uh, Halloween franchise, which is uh, very interesting. Um, it's very it's it's either one of those things where you see his name and you're kind of cringe or you're kind of like very excited. And right lately, I've you know, Jason Blum, I think, has been doing a pretty good job. This was first screened back in September of 2021 at Fantastic Fest. It was supposed to release, I believe, a few months before its initial release date of June 24th, 2022. So almost a year later from its first screening back in September. That's when we finally got to see it in theaters. Uh, it had a budget of about $18 million, and it's grossed $141.2 million. This movie blew, like, just shattered the box office first, especially for a movie like this. When you see numbers like that, it's insane. That is like Marvel making a billion dollars for a movie. $141.2 million. It's insane. Universal. And, bo and both the films we're talking about tonight are both from Universal. So, hey, there we go. I guess they, they're, they're locking it down on the horror right now. And, uh, you know, I feel um, there's a lot of, of great horror being made right now. A lot of stuff I still haven't seen and I'm trying to catch up on. It's just so much good horror coming out. People recommending things to me and podcasts that I listen to that are recommending movies to me. It's wild. I still have so much to watch, but uh, I'm glad I got to see uh, this and Nope in theaters. It's, it's always a great experience. So let's get into some stuff. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about things that I liked and things that I didn't like, or maybe I'll do it in reverse. And then uh, once I five, you know, run out of things to talk about spoiler free, I'm going to warn all of you that it's going to be spoilers. And then we're going to jump right into the spoilers. So the things I uh, liked about this movie, Ethan Hawke's performance, actually, to be honest, I feel everybody's performance in this movie was top notch. Ethan Hawke, as our villain, the grabber, he, he, oh, every time he was on screen, he always left you uncomfortable. And I think that is what the whole point of this is, is, is to make you uncomfortable. Um, it's, it's one of those things where it's a story, it's your, I don't want to say typical, because I feel like that's undermining how, how much I enjoyed this movie and how good I think it is. It's, I'll put it in air quotes, just because I don't want to be like, it's a typical, but it's a movie about abduction, about you know, about uh, it. It's a it's a serial killer story that you know about a guy who who kidnaps children and and kills him, and there's a black phone involved. That when the titular character, well, the uh, our um a lead child actor uh answers the phone, it is spirits of the grabbers 
other victims. Now, this was in the trailer, so I'm not really spoiling anything. That is kind of that is the premise of this movie. I love the whole idea. The supernatural, I, I like that there was a twist of reality, but there was also that supernatural element to it that really um, brought a different dimension where it could just be that typical like kid gets kidnapped, kid has to try to escape, which it would have still made a really good, really good movie. Um, but we've seen it before. I just like that little twist of the fact that we're getting um, this character interacting with characters uh, that have gone through the same situation, but unfortunately met a more grisly end. So this movie takes place in the 70s, and I love the aesthetic. I love that it kind of has the 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 way that the film looks. It's got the, the you know, you got your brown, you know, it's more brown and green, and it, the the colors are dulled down, and, if, if, and that's that perfect feel for the situation that everybody's going through in this movie between, you know, um, you know, parents and, and, and siblings, and then, of course, the victim himself. Uh, like I said, performances... Especially when you go into a movie and there's kids in it, it's 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 going to be either you're going to love these kids or you're going to hate them. And it's mostly based on your performance. Jason Thoms and Madeline McGraw are awesome in this movie. Madeline McGraw more so as she just steals every scene she's in the emotion she portrays in some really, really hard to watch scenes, uh, the way that she is, you know, she, there, you know, she brings her religion into the, into it, but also the fact that like, she's questioning a lot of things. I love everything that this girl put onto the screen and, uh, I can't wait to see her in more stuff. She is so good. Mason Thames, He's so good in this movie as our victim, as the, as the kid that we're watching struggle going through this situation the whole movie. Uh, he really puts a puts a great performance out there. And uh, an, another actor that I'm, I'm very excited to see what he does um, coming up. That's what's great about, uh, you know, these kid actors is like if, if they're putting a performance like that when at this age, imagine what type of stuff they're going to be doing um, in the future. Um, oh, back to, uh, so this movie was written by Scott Derrickson. Of course, it's based on Joe Hill's, uh, short story, but it was written by Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill. Uh, you know, we talked about Scott, uh, Scott Derrickson, but, uh, C. Robert Cargill, he wrote Sinister, Sinister 2, he wrote Doc, so he's pretty much been, uh, the right-hand man for Scott Derrickson, um, in the writing department, and, you know, it, so far, he's been doing a pretty good job. But back to the performances, Jeremy Davies is, he's one of those characters that's tragic, but also you, you're you struggling to feel sympathy for this guy, even in the situation that he is in. I feel he puts on a very good performance, um, but also it's kind of like hit or miss. But it's also one of those things, it's like, I feel this is exactly how someone in this situation would be and how they would react and you know, you get the good one day and then the next day it's bad or you always have to walk around. Uh, you always have to walk on eggshells around this person. Um, I know a lot of people have gone through similar situations and, uh, you know, even in my own life, there's been slight glimpses of, of things like this, not to this extreme, but it's it definitely was one of those like it, it hits kind of at home. But Ethan Hawke, Ethan Hawke. 
we've really never seen Ethan Hawke really play a straight up villain unless you've watched uh, Moon Knight, uh, which came out this year. So he's actually played two villains uh, in 2022. But he just, he's creepy. He makes you uncomfortable. You don't know what his move, what what he's gonna do next. There's just some situations where you're questioning, like the san. I mean, I, I mean, this guy's a serial killer, so his sanity is out the window. But now I'm gonna go to the bad, because we're talking about his character, the Grabber. He's kind of dumb. I feel like you kind of question sometimes of like how has he gotten away with this for so long when. Some of the kids, I feel, could have easily gotten out of the situation um, over the, our main character, our main kid character. And, yeah, just a lot of, just some some questionable decisions where you're kind of like, how has he been doing this for so long? And um, how did, you know, his demise, you know, go in that tr- direction that it went into? And you're just kind of like, oh, wow. All right, that's interesting. But Ethan Hawke puts it all out there. He really, it's just, it's not even, it's not scary per se. It's just straight up uncomfortable and straight up just unpredictable. So I guess that is scary in a way. I mean, imagine being, you know, however old these kids are. I think they were like 13, 14, or maybe a little younger. And just being in that situation, anybody, even even any like even an adult being in that situation like it's a it's a terrifying thing you never know if you're gonna live or die so ethan hawk i think nailed it with the aesthetic of this character but when we get into some of the uh into the spoilers we'll talk a little bit into detail about some of the uh kind of weird situations that this character is put into but overall i thought this movie was great I enjoyed the hell out of it. I felt uncomfortable. I there were some frights in it. It wasn't a scary movie. It's just a very uncomfortable movie. Uh, and uh, the performances are top notch. And I, um, I really recommend if you if it's still in your if it's still in theaters when you listen to this, um, I would recommend going check it out. It's a it's a good watch uh, on the big screen, um, or you can get it on VOD because it's available there now. So, with all of that. We're going to go into the spoilers. So if you haven't seen The Black Phone, make sure to go check it out. Like I said, if it's still in theaters, go check it out. Or uh, if you want to rent it on VOD, you can do it there. Uh, Or, you know, even if you wait until it comes out uh, and it's a little bit cheaper to watch, you know, do that. This review will be online forever. But we're going to spoil this movie. I say we. It's just me today. (laughs) I am going to spoil this movie, so if you haven't seen this movie, please go watch it, come back, listen to the spoilers. If you don't care about being spoiled, then stick around, because I'm going to spoil it. So this movie is about a serial killer who, a child, a serial child abductor who pretty much goes around the streets of Denver, Colorado, snagging kids off the streets. He is titled The Grabber. And uh, it's it's one of those things where you see the posters of the missing children all over the town. It kind of gives you that it feeling. And this story focuses on two siblings, Finney and Gwen. 
uh, who live with an abusive father and uh, who's played by Jeremy Davies. And this is kind of one of those things where you get some very good performances by both Jeremy Davies and Madeline McGraw. But before we get to that that scene that is very, um, I think it's, it's one of those scenes that a lot of people want when they watch this movie that made them the most uncomfortable. But this movie starts with a baseball game where Finney is a, is a pitcher and he's a very good pitcher and he faces one of the best baseball players in the town. And uh, his name is Bruce. And Bruce, uh, he thinks he's going to get him, but Bruce hits that home run. And uh, But he he praises him. And it's one of those things where it's not that generic like, I mean, you get bullies in this movie. Don't get me wrong. You get bullies. And sh- crazy things happens happen with these bullies. But um, there's a lot of great characters around that stand up and and kind of make it make sense where it's not just those generic bullies who are like just doing stupid shit. And then um, you're like, oh, God, it's just it's 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 a very generic, you know, addition when you add those type of bullies. These are. So you meet Bruce, he hits the home run. He goes up to, to Finney and he actually praises him for her. He you know tells him he's a really good pitcher. And. Bruce rides home. And he doesn't make it. He is snagged by the grabber. And of course, throughout this, you're, you're seeing these kids that are kind of um, having these interactions and having these um, conversations with our with Finney. And those are the kids who end up getting taken. So. We then meet. Um, uh, well, we meet Gwen and we meet the abusive father. And we get we see a scene that is just it's really hard to watch, but the performance by Madeline McGraw was unbelievable, unbelievable. I was left uncomfortable, but I was also just astonished by this by this girl's performance. It's 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 a it's a tough one. You know, child abuse is awful in any way, shape or form. And uh, we see, you know, it's it's the it's the 70s, 1978. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, the father is beating um, uh, Gwen because I think it was because she wasn't home or she talks about her psychic. Oh, she talks about her psychic dreams. She has psychic abilities. She can see things and, and all that. That's where you get the the more supernatural stuff that comes into play. And it's not just a straight up abduction story. And uh, the father's not about it. He's, a, he's an alcoholic. The mother died, and uh, I guess she had something similar, and and uh, she kind of went mad, and or at least that's what the father believes. And he just doesn't want to see his daughter go down the same thing, so he kind of tries to beat it out of her, which is how I guess a lot of things were done back in the day, where it's like if you believed in something or if you said something was going on, they just try to beat it out of you, or you know, pray it out. It, that's yeah. so. But it's just her genuine emotion in the scene. It's just so heartbreaking. And you have Finney just standing there staring as it all happens. And he, you know, he feels like he should step in, but he is but in this in this story, you see Finney evolve and become just you know, he goes from being that scared boy to standing up for himself and fine and being the victor in the end and, and finally being like the, you know, I'm a 
you know, I can stand up for myself and I can stand up for others. And uh, so, but, but at this moment, he's just staring at everything going on and just excellent performances. I just want to praise Madeline McGraw. I'm going to say her name a lot. She's the best part of this movie, in my opinion, other than Ethan Hawke, Madeline McGraw, bravo. But so we meet Robin, who is uh, the kid who stands up uh, to the bullies. You see, like, Finney and Gwen are walking to school, and Robin's beating the shit out of this kid. And he, I guess, the, the kid he's beating up was, is a, is a big-time bully. And he just, this character, you immediately are like, yes, this is, a, this is an awesome character. Like, the character who stands up uh, to the bullies. I mean, he goes a little far. He, he doesn't, he, he beats this kid to a pulp. But he's got a. He stands up uh, for Finney when Finney gets into bad situations with the bullies, and so Finney has. He feels like he has that protective barrier now because he's got Robin on his side. Robin's the toughest kid in the school. No one's gonna mess with him, so we're good. But unfortunately, we get a scene of Robin walking behind a mall, and uh, getting taken by the grabber. So once all that happens, it's uh, it's all about, you know, Finney trying to stand up for himself, but he can't. He's got his sister there who is the best option. And we get a really crazy scene of Gwen coming in while these bullies finally they, you know, Robin is gone and the bullies are like, well, now it's our time to strike. And Gwen comes in and smokes one of the kids with a rock. And it's it's just a wild scene. This kid is like literally bleeding. He looks like he's doesn't know where he is. Like it's a it's a wild scene. The girl gets kicked in the face. It's a it's a it's a wild scene, and it just it blows my mind just how how it all plays out. I love the relationship between Gwen and Finney. I think it's really genuine uh, for a brother and sister of uh, that age. You know, I definitely felt like they were siblings, and that always is is a plus for me is when you can you see a family dynamic between actors when they're not actually family and you see you know you could believe it like if you weren't you you could feel like if you open your eyes and you're in the same situation you're in like the real world that you would believe that these these kids are actually brother and sister so gwen every friday she goes and hangs out with her friend she sleeps over and so finney walks home alone well this time it's not so good because when he walks home, he runs into Ethan Hawke, who dropped his groceries and just needs some help. Now, Finney knows about the black balloons, so every time a kid is taken, black balloons are left at the scene, and Finney notices him a little too late, and the grabber knocks him out and puts him in the back of his van. And when you wake, he wakes up. He's locked in a basement. It's terrifying. Imagine being in this situation. It's one of those just terrifying moments. And every time Ethan Hawke's character walks into the room to either just have a civil conversation, to tell him everything's going to be okay, you never believe it because you just know just the sinister <laughs> uh, motive behind his eyes and just the things that he could do. And uh, that's why I think Ethan Hawke's so good in this movie. It's just, it doesn't, he's just, he brings us such an uncomfortable motive around him. Investigators talk to Gwen 
uh, about her brother. She also mentions the fact that she can see things. She has like visions and stuff. And the cops are kind of like, well, all right, well, let's see how this goes. And so they, she kind of works with them in a way. Uh, and of course, she's uh, she talks to God every day, uh, prays for her brother to come home, the dad. And then you have the dad aspect where the dad is trying to be understanding. Uh, he's a little bit more distraught now because his son is gone, so he's taking on more drinking. But he's also trying to be understanding to his sister or to the the sister and to what her, you know, what she states her abilities are. Just everything that I, I, so my downs uh, for this movie, I think, are the whole thing of uh, of Finney's escape and how he's doing certain things in the room that he's in and the grabber never really I feel like he never realizes it or he just plays it off like he doesn't know I don't know but it's kind of one of those things where it's like he's so good as as being creepy and and making you uncomfortable but like the logic behind him is like how did he has he not been caught and how are these kids just not overpowered him and gotten out of there but you know you got to progress the plot so you just got to kind of go with it uh so the whole point of this movie and why it's called the black phone is because there's a black phone in the room in the basement but it doesn't work uh he talks about how he can hear it ring but there's never anybody on the other line so it rings for Finney, and when he picks up, there's someone on the other line. And it's all of, and every time he talks, he talks to somebody different, and it's always, um, it was, I think, uh, there's Bruce, uh, who always repeats the line that he speaks to him at the baseball game, uh, which I can't remember off the top of my head, and I don't want to look at it right now. Uh, and then there's the paper boy. And then there was uh, there was a kid who was like he was a pretty crazy kid who was at an arcade and he beat up a bunch of kids and um, he's kind of aggressive. And so these kids help him, you know, plan his escape. So they did different parts of the escape, but unfortunately they were caught and. Uh, they played the grabber's game. So the grabber has a game where he leaves the door unlocked and ajar. And what he wants them to do is he wants them to try to escape. And clearly it doesn't work for the other kids as they are now dead. And the grabber kills them you know when they participate in this game he he hopes that they don't but when they do that's when the killings happen and it's one of those things where they are warning him now that they've gone through the experience and it didn't work they go through it with him like listen don't play the game wait till he's asleep then try like there's a just all the aspects of that i thought were pretty cool um, you had some some weird jumps, jump scares you had, uh, which I, I didn't mind them. They weren't like just there to be there. It kind of like gave you like that uncomfortable feeling, but it wasn't one of those like you felt scared uh, for Finney. It was more just like, 
this it's just sad uh, that all these kids had to go through some really bad experiences. Uh, and of course, Robin is one of the victims as well. And it, it's a tough thing for Finney because Finney had such a, I think, a, a good relationship with Robin that it was really tough when he finds out about him. Um, but they all help him escape. And you have some really cool uh, scenes with Gwen as she's trying to pray and nothing is working. She can't get, she nothing is going her way. Uh, she thinks she finds the house, but she doesn't. And... She has it's such a great scene where she goes down to pray and she's like, you've got to be fucking kidding me, God. What the fuck are you doing? Like, what am I supposed to do here? And it's, it's one of the things where she tests her fate, not her fate, her faith. She tests her faith and she questions it and she, she just really wants to get her brother home and she's going to try whatever she can to uh, make sure that, that it happens. Um, you get some very, very slim images that very, feel very much like it. Uh, she wears an outfit that's very similar to uh, uh, the, 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 first, the, the boy who dies in the beginning of It, uh, Georgie. Uh, you, get some, you get some jump scares there as well. But overall in the movie, it's just he, he finally... Uh, escapes he tricks the grabber and ends up killing him um the grabber has a brother who you see too who i who i uh i thought was um he was a he was an okay character uh he uh james ransome uh ransome uh he was in it uh, chapter two uh he was also in sinister and sinister two so he's kind of he's worked with uh with derrickson before and uh, he plays the brother who is kind of a, a nut. He's a he's a very he's a cokehead who's very obsessed with trying to find these children and and he thinks he knows exactly where they are. And in reality, uh they're underneath him. Uh they are kept underneath him in the house that he stays at. And when he discovers him, his own brother takes him out. But in the end, the grabber is defeated. With all of the Home Alone tricks, you know, he got a hole in the floor. He's trying to escape through a refrigerator, trying to get off the window. Like, there's a lot of um, just things that are kind of built up to that final showdown at the end where Finney stands up for himself and becomes, you know, with Robin's help and all of the other spirits, he overcomes his... Uh, his fear of not standing up for himself. And he does. And he finally, and he eliminates the grabber. Uh, Gwen figures out that uh, where the house is, the cops go there. They notice that there's, it's such a crazy, it's such a crazy ending. Cause it's one of, it's one of those things like, holy shit. It's, it's one of those decisions where you're kind of questioning it. Like, why would you do things in such close proximity? And it just shows like the grabber isn't, a very, like he's not the smartest person. I mean, clearly he's he's gotten away with a, killing a lot of kids and and doing what he's doing. But overall, he was so close to being caught so many times. But he's just uh, he just was able to escape narrowly so many times. But where he buries the uh, children is in a house right across the street from where he keeps them. So it's like it's not even when you realize it's right across the street, cause they go into the house that where the bodies are buried and there's the empty, uh, grave where Finney's supposed to be. They're like, Holy shit. And then Finney, of course he kills the grabber 
he escapes. He comes out the front door of the other house. Gwen notices him, and then you get that whole thing, and then that's when the cops storm there. It's a it's a wild ride. This movie really just keeps you on the edge of your seat. Um, you really feel for these kids, and uh, you you root for them the whole time to 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 get this guy because and and that's a, a huge huge praise for Ethan Hawke and the great performance he put uh, into this character. Um, it's wild. It's wild. Um, the only thing that I, like I said before, the father, it's so hard to like, you, you feel for him, you know, his kids kidnapped. Um, he doesn't know if he's alive or dead. And the whole thing is, do you feel, do you like, do you feel for this guy? Because of the way he treats his children, I do like the interaction between uh, the kids and their father at the end, where it was kind of like you know he's asking for forgiveness, and they're kind of you never get like a you never get a clear answer from them of like yeah we forgive you father you know it's more of just like they kind of you know he grabs their hands and then it's kind of it kind of moves on from there, and at the end it's just you know Finney gets to school and he is he's now the cool kid. You know, he's the one who escaped the grabber. You know, he survived. So you don't fuck with that. And then he gets to sit next to his crush in his science class. And that's cool. Um, it's the girl that he was kind of panning over the whole movie. And uh, she seemed a little concerned. You know, she seemed concerned when he was missing. And I thought, you know, that was a nice little touch for the end. Overall, I had a blast with this movie. I thought it was uh, the performances really... Um, you know, the story is not so, in, it's not a very intricate movie. You know, I like the fact that it's, it is your, it is a, a child abduction movie with some supernatural stuff going on. And uh, I like that. I like that little bit of like added flavor to just kind of a more grounded movie. Um, yeah, the performances, that's, that's what really drew me in. These kids were fantastic. Ethan Hawke was fantastic and uh, the aesthetic was really good. I would love to see Scott Derrickson do some more horror, but I would like him to I feel like he's kind of restrained where I feel like it was too safe. Like a lot of the stuff that he was doing in this movie was a little too safe. I would like to see something extreme from this guy because I think I, I've really high hopes that this guy can produce something that is really going to like at, at the end of the day, you're going to watch the movie and go, what the fuck? Well, this movie didn't do it that for me, but in the end, I still had a, I still thought it was a great movie. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, another viewing of it again. And um, I highly recommend it to uh, anyone out there who is a horror fan, but also just maybe a thriller or true crime. This will be, this is right up your alley. So that is my review of the black phone. We're going to take a small break and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about, this episode of Fresh Cuts is brought to you by the music of Dark Razard. With 15 albums and over 200 songs, all DMCA free, you can listen on your streams, you can add them to your podcast, you can just enjoy them as you mow your lawn to that sweet music performed by the legend, the Pit Vipers, the Mullet. He does it all. He's also on Twitch, on twitch.tv slash darkrazard. Make sure to go over and check him out there. But if you need music for your podcast to listen on your stream and not get in trouble by all those studios that are going to strike you down and 
Thank you for all you got. You got so many amazing selections from Dark Razard to add to all of those things. So you can uh, stream, create your content in peace without having to worry about those guys bringing you down. So make sure to check out Dark Razard wherever you listen to music. Just type in Dark Razard and it's going to pull up all those beautiful tunes. Hey, I do it. Look at me. I'm not as cool as him, but, you know, you should go listen to his music. Bye. Back to the show. And we're back for review number two. Jordan Peele's Nope. Hooey. I cannot wait to break this down, talk about it, all that fun stuff. So, of course, Nope was written, produced, and directed by Jordan Peele. It stars Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Stephen Yen, Michael Wincott, and Brandon Pereira, and of course, Keith David's in this movie as well. I gotta mention him, because he is a horror icon, even if he wasn't in this movie for very long. This movie blew me away. So as of right now, uh, it budgeted at about $68 million, which um, way more than uh, what uh, the Black Phone had for a budget. And at currently, uh, it's only about three, four days in. It's at $80.6 million. It's going to make way more. This movie is drawing in some uh, some great praise. I hope it uh, it doesn't, you know, I hope it succeeds because this movie is so good. And we need more movies like this in theaters and we need to chill out, Marvel. Let these movies come in and take some some spots here. All right? You got enough. Chill. I'm going to keep saying it. So, again, I'm going to do spoiler free, and then I'm going to jump into spoilers. Because this is a fairly newer movie, so uh, it's still in theaters. So, if you, you know, and, and seriously, this movie, go, go you, please support this movie. It's so good. So, my thoughts on this movie, nope is just another just unbelievable achievement by Jordan Peele. I remember all the way back when Get Out was announced, and I remember seeing, you know, film by Jordan Peele, and I was like, are you talking about the Key and Peele guy? Like, he's directing a movie, and I remember watching the trailer for Get Out, and I was like, this looks, this looks really good. And I didn't see it in theaters. This is actually the first uh, Jordan Peele movie I've seen in theaters. Um, I actually, um, as of this recording, I have yet to see Us. I own it. have it right here in this Blu-ray pile right next to me. It's going to be watched very soon, so I can't give my my honest opinions on Us. But Get Out is is such a well-made movie, and it really put a lot of faith in, uh, in me with uh, what Jordan Peele could do. A lot of people comparing him to Steven Spielberg. And when you watch Nope, you get a lot of Spielberg feels to this. And that, and listen, I'm wearing my Jaw shirt for a reason because this movie feels, I don't want to say like this movie is a, a, you know, Jaws with aliens, but this is, this movie has such a Jaws feel to it. But Jordan Peele did his own thing and made it so just unbelievable and and memorable like you like this is a movie you watch and you're you're still asking questions for 
long periods of time after. I literally, as of this recording, watched it yesterday. And so many times I'm seeing things on the screen and I'm just looking at my buddy who's sitting next to me and I'm just like, what the fuck? And so many of those moments and and I feel like the the visuals were fantastic. If you could see this in, in IMAX, I, I didn't see it in IMAX because I don't have an IMAX near me and it's very unfortunate because I would have loved to see this in IMAX. But if you have an IMAX theater near you and you can see this in IMAX, go see this in IMAX. I've heard great, nothing but great things about this movie in IMAX and, I've, and this was entirely shot uh, with IMAX cameras, all on film, no digital, which is pretty funny because they actually throw that as a mention in this movie. Um, visuals, unbelievable. The characters are just you are all like they're all completely different from each other and but the standout for me is daniel kaluuya who is unbelievable as oj he it's one of those things where the, he his performance is not based on dialogue it's more based on the reactions of the situation he's in and that's it for me. Like his eyes just tell a story of how he's feeling, what is like, what he's thinking, and it's just it, this guy just continues to do such great things. And to be honest, I feel like he deserves some some awards for this movie because his performance is 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 my favorite. But Kiki Palmer. She's the opposite of OJ. She is it, her character. Uh, M is just like she's very outgoing. She's very like open. She talks a lot. She is very you know focused on other things. She doesn't want to be doing what um you know what OJ is doing. She's she's very all over the place. But she is v completely opposite from uh, from OJ. Uh, Stephen Yen, his character is one of those characters where you're sort of like okay what is this character all about uh, what are we going to get from this because you don't really see you see certain things in the trailer but it doesn't give too much away of what exactly this character is all about but once you get his explanation on things and you actually see a full um, evolution of this character and then you know how it all ends it's unbelievable uh, Daniel Pereira I don't know if I've ever seen anything with this guy in it but he's so good because he just feels so real he, he just he feels like like somebody I know like he he's a tech guy he's like he's kind of like geek squad for Best Buy uh, but he yeah he you know he's there to help them but he's also like he believes he wants to be a part of this he kind of weaves his way into this entire situation they kind of just accept it and uh his character um it's one of those it's one of those things where like you're you're excited to do something and then you get involved with it and you're like maybe i should have just <laughs> left it all alone but i thought his performance was very good uh, and then Michael Wincott, who I'm trying to think of 
things that I know he was in the crow because I've listened to other people's reviews on this movie and he, I guess he's from the crow. I haven't seen the crow since I was little. Uh, he was in alien resurrection, which is probably nothing to write home about, but uh, his character really, um, it, 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 when you first meet him, he's just kind of like that douchebag and um, you know, just douchebag who works in the movie business. And then, Later on, when things are happening, he kind of changes his tone. And then once he's involved in everything, um, it, it kind of like changes his whole demeanor. And you kind of see a completely different side of this character. Um, when we get to when we get to spoilers, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more in depth about him and kind of the way everything unfolds for him. But. Uh, man, the. Just the visual, like I said before, the visuals are fantastic the suspense and just like the eeriness of this whole thing just blew my mind. Uh, like I said before, it's, it really has that jaws feel to it. And I don't want to compare it. I don't want to say like, this is, this is a, this is jaws with alien. No, no, it just has that. We're not showing you too much too soon. We want you to use your imagination or kind of feel like they feel where they're looking up into the sky to see what's up there. And they, they're just like, there is something out there. I just don't know. But then after a certain amount of time, then it shows its, then it shows its face. And then you're like, oh shit. And then you, it's like, what's that aftermath of seeing something like that? It's this movie will keep you on the edge of your seat from beginning to end. Jordan Peele continues to to really do a great job. Like like I said before, I haven't seen Us yet. And yes, I know you can yell at me in the comments. I own it. I will be watching it very soon and I will give you all of my thoughts uh, over on my uh, letterbox. So if you want to read my reviews, I actually have all of uh, a bunch of reviews on movies that I don't cover on the show. Plus the movies I have covered on the show over there. So if you want to re you know, read my terrible reviews uh, on my letterbox, I'll put that in the description down below. But yeah, this movie rocked. I can't wait to buy this and just watch it a lot because, again, it it feels like Jaws, and I love Jaws. It's my favorite movie of all time, and the fact that I get that sort of feel with Nope means this will definitely be a movie that I watch a lot throughout my life because it's that good. I'm very excited to talk about spoilers. So. If you haven't seen Nope, make sure to tune out, go see Nope, come back, watch the rest of this review, because I'm about to spoil the shit out of it. So please, go away, then come back. But if you want to be spoiled, stick around. If you've seen the movie, and I miss something, which I probably will, because I'm just, I don't want to, this is just me glancing over certain things and talking about certain aspects. So if I miss anything, please leave them in the comments. At some point, we will be doing a full podcast episode on this movie. I want to cover all three of Jordan Peele's movies. So that will be happening at some point in the future because I do want to do a full on episode of this movie because, like I said, it's so good. So spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Here we go. So this movie's opening is eerie as hell so this movie opens 
to the set of a sitcom. But, but shit has hit the fan. There is, it's terrifying. So we're on the set of a sitcom called Gordy's Home. About a chimpanzee who lives with a family. And um, unfortunately, this chimp goes rogue, loses its mind, and uh, either kills or maims a lot of people. And you get this really, really eerie scene of the chimp, Gordy, you know, walking around covered in blood on his hands, on his face, and he just sits there. Feeling confused, I guess. I don't know how to read apes. But uh, just very confused on the situation. And then it cuts. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a wild, wild opening. Because you're just kind of... Que- at first, you're just questioning. You're like, what the hell just happened? What does that have to do with anything? And even after I saw the movie, this was one of my things um, where I was like, you know, I feel like that ape thing with the show didn't need to be in this movie. I feel like it didn't need to be in here. But to be honest, it brought that suspense and that kind of eeriness. Just thinking about it now as I'm talking about it, it's like I feel it was it was a good call to to put something like that in there because it's show this will also evolve into uh, as we see this, you know, a, a different character um, in the future. So we now go to present day and we meet the Haywoods. We got Otis Sr. and Otis Jr. And they uh, work at a horse training uh farm where they literally train they all their horses are used for movies and you know they're talking about how they got this big job coming up and this job will pretty much um uh, let it so that that they can they could just they didn't even need to work anymore they'll be they'll be set for life and uh, a weird phenomena happens where shit breaks like everything kind of shuts down and then things fall from the sky you're like all right you don't see what they are and then otis senior played by legendary actor keith david he rides away but falls off his horse and you're like oh shit he got hit by something so otis jr brings him to the hospital but unfortunately, it's too late. He's dead. And you get the really creepy image of dead Keith David on the uh, on the gurney there with kind of a, a slit in his eye. And you later find out that a nickel fell from the sky and shot into his eye. Killed him. It's wild. And then you later see at the farm, you see a key. You see a bunch of just random items that just fell from the sky. And this is like, what the, I don't understand what's happening. We cut to six months later where uh, OJ is, uh, he's on a set in a movie. Uh, he's, he's out of his element because this wasn't what he did. He was, he was a trainer 
he did a lot of stuff on the farm. His dad was more of the guy who was hands-on, and, and so it's more of he has to have his sister help, but she is more preoccupied with her own stuff where it, this stuff isn't as important. Um, and he's just out of his element. And um, many times where he, it's just, it. it this movie is showing just how, <sighs> I guess how just like shitty Hollywood can be. You know, he's he's there. He knows how horses are. You know, he's been around them all his life. He's telling them to not stand behind him, which is a number one rule with a horse. You never stand behind a horse because if you do, you're a fucking idiot and you deserve to be kicked in the head. Uh, but many times, you know, where it's some of those things where he's telling people, you know, what not to do. And um, everybody's kind of just like, yeah, whatever, blah, 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 just ignoring him. And it's like, I'm the big star. So I know, but, you know. It's it's one of those things like, God, I fucking hate all these people. I hate them all. Like, I feel so bad for Otis, and he has to deal with these fucking morons. Uh, and then it, it all ends, though, where, you know, um, so M, short for Emerald, she comes in, she gives her a little safety talk about uh, the horses. She gives a little history of her family. So the original, so you, I don't know if anyone's seen, I mean, you saw it in the movie, the, the moving image of a black jockey on a horse. It was the first like motion picture type thing it was the first moving picture. And it was her great, great, great grandfather on the horse. Not a lot was known about him in reality. That is a real image with a black jockey. Uh, and it was one of the first moving pictures, but the jockey, you never find that in real life. Uh, you never, you never, you, no one knows who that jockey is in, in reality, but in, in this movie, it's their great, great, great grandfather. And since then, they've been providing horses to Hollywood and blah, blah, blah. And she gives a whole safety talk about things. Um, unfortunately, it all ends with some stupid idiot getting kicked, uh, almost getting kicked uh, by the horse. And in the end, they the the set, they kind of, I guess they fire him or they just say, oh, no, we're just going to use visual effects. Uh, and, you know, Otis has to kind of, figure something else out for money and ends up selling a lot of the horses because he can't make ends meet. He's got to keep the farm going and you know, he'll make good money. So he ends up selling uh, some of the horses to a, like amusement park slash ranch that is uh, run uh, by Steven Yen's character. And it's called Jupiter's claim. And he, uh, you find out that uh, he was the young boy from Gordy's home. He was in the sh that show. He was also in a Western. Uh, and that's kind of how he builds this whole park to kind of re, you know, rekindle the flame and to, to live in the glory days of uh, being a child actor. And he's got a bunch of stuff from those shows uh well, at least from that Western show. But he's got like a secret room that he doesn't show anybody unless they pay. And it's all from Gordy's home. You know, there's the shirt and, and just a lot of stuff. And then he tells a really creepy story about the whole thing. Um, and then I guess they, he even talks about how SNL parried it. And I was like, that makes sense. I feel like that's something they do. Oh, uh, and um, back to the the scene though, uh, where they're on the set. 
this is where we meet uh the cinematographer Antlers Holst, which is like this man's name is Antlers. Okay. All right. Uh he's just a very gruff, don't give a shit type of dude. He's the cinematographer, but he's very old school. And he's watching a lot of very old I feel like he's editing film from like 1960 fucking five where it's all animal stuff. And I was the whole time, every time they would show him, I was just like, what is he? What is going on? <laughs> but it also shows like he's the, so he's the cinematographer, uh, the fake cinematographer in this movie. Uh, the real cinematographer for this movie was uh, Hoyt van Hoytema, who uh, did, has done a lot of uh, Christopher Nolan movies, um, especially most recently. Uh, he did Interstellar, Dunkirk, and uh, latest would be Tenet. Uh, he did Let the Right One In. Um, he did a, a Spectre and Ad Astra. So he's done a lot of a lot of great films uh, over his career. But he, you know, I feel like it was, um, you know, it was. It's funny because they, you know, they show him. You know, very, he's very old school with this filming. And they did shoot, they shot this entire film on film. So that's really cool. I really like that whole kind of evolution. So this movie's broken down in like chapters. It's, it's, it's an interesting concept where every, it's, uh, everything is based on uh, a horse. And uh, weird things start to happen. So one of the horses, um, ends up uh, escaping it runs away uh and uh, OJ has to go out there and he's got to figure it all out and that's when we get the glimpse of the saucer or at least what we think to be the saucer and the shot of this thing is un real so it's silent but instead of it just kind of like going back and forth and this is where you kind of get the when you get to the twist at the end it feels like at that moment you kind of feel like it's not it's not what you think it is because it feels like it's stalking like it's not moving like a ship like oh it's it's moving like a predator trying to stalk its prey um and I love I love some of the reactions from OJ, like the horse, like one, like he's talking to one of the horses. The horse kind of gets spooked because um, the horses kind of can sense when it's around, and it jumps over the fence and just runs away. And it's just like, where's it going? And he just kind of turns and just goes. It's not like an immediate like I gotta go get him, but he goes and he tries to find it. Never does, and. Um, that's when uh, we see the next time where it's kind of more like daylight and one of the horses gets yoinked um, by this thing. It's picked up kind of like in a dust storm, which is really a really cool visual. Instead of being like a beam, it's like a dust storm and it like picks it up. And the sound design for this movie is unfreaking believable. You know, the sound of this of this uh, the ship or the saucer, whatever the heck you want to consider it at this time when you don't know what the hell is going on. It's it just ugh, it, it chills you to your core when you're hearing because it as the as it sucks things into it, 
you can hear the screaming of what it has consumed. So it takes a horse and you just hear this really, really uncomfortable scream from the horse as this thing is flying away. And I'm just, and it's just, it's, it's just like, holy shit. I can't believe what I just saw. Um, it's, it's one of those things where he tells, tells uh, her, uh, M about the, uh, about it. You know, the fact that he saw a UFO, she's kind of like, okay, well, let's, let's, uh, let's react to this. Let's, let's do something about this. Let's not just, you know, go, we're, we're going to make sure we get the evidence and we're going to, we're going to bank off of this. And so they go and get some equipment and that's when they meet, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Fry's Electric. Fry's electronics employee Angel Torres who helps to set up the surveillance I love how it's just kind of like that typical just retail guys like hey you want some help with that and they're like no it's it's fine he's like okay well it's kind of hard you know I feel like you're probably not gonna be able to do it and they're like whatever dude so he comes out and does it that's when he gets really invested into everything that's going on because they kind of they kind of say what they're doing and he really wants to be involved, but they're kind of like, nah, but he ends up getting involved anyways, which then probably something he probably been like, I just, I probably should go. I probably shouldn't have been a part of this. This is terrifying. We get a flashback again to that same scene that we saw in the opening and the set of Gordy's home, but it's more of a, it's just a very, it's more graphic and it shows. So it shows the scene. Uh, it was an episode of the show where it was his birth. It was Gordy's birthday, and they had balloons. Uh, the the sis, sister in the show brought Gordy balloons, and the whole reason he snaps is because one of the balloons pops, and it sets him off, and he attacks everybody, kills a lot of people, but also maims some people. Uh, and it's just one of those things where you see him beating on someone, and I think it was the sister, and then of course like. You see some dead bodies or some people slumped over in, in the, the audience or like on the set. And then like the dad from the show comes down the stairs and he tries to run away and he gets attacked and beaten by the chimp. And then you get that same scene that you see in the beginning where he sits at the edge of the couch. He's covered in blood. Scariest CG freaking ape I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen some really good Planet of the Apes movies, but this one just kind of hits you to your core. He's covered in blood in his mouth and his hands. And he notices Jupe, who is underneath the table. He's terrified. He's just hoping he doesn't see him. And he sees him and he walks over and you're like, oh man, this is going to be pretty, pretty traumatic. And um, the you get the, the eerie scene of... Uh, Gordy putting his hand uh, underneath to give him a fist bump because he actually uh, taught him the uh, the explosive fist bump. You know the fist bump? You do that? I guess he taught him it. It was like the first one done on television. And so he goes for it, and right as they're about to to, to do it, Gordy gets shot. It's a It's just, it's out of the blue in a way. Like when you watch it, you're just like, holy shit. That was insane. Like, what what was that for? But it kind of, but as I 
think about it and I listen to other people talk about it. And I want to thank uh, the, 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 the podcast individually because uh, I've listened to a couple podcasts um, over the course of the day before recording this. Uh, the guys over at Epic, Epic Film Guys and Brain Stew, uh, their episode on Nope was fantastic. You should go listen to that. I'm going to link that down in the description. And also, uh, Soul Wizard Podcast also covered this movie. Um, so uh, and their thoughts on the movie really made me think about certain things even more than when I walked out of the theater yesterday. Cause there were certain things where I was just like, you know what? This scene kind of didn't need to be in this movie. But now that I think about it, I I'm just like, I feel it's good for the growth and to see the evolution of this character because you're seeing him, you know, he's, I feel this whole thing was the fact that like the, you know, Gordy reacted, he killed all these people. He, he did what he did, but he still, had that trust in Jupe, and I think I think Jupe just had that like whole thing. It was like, as long as I can, I show respect to something that's dangerous, I can be protected. And unfortunately, it doesn't end so well for him later on. Uh, so they set up their surveillance, and this is when you get. Uh, I think this was the yeah so so that the flashback scene happens a little later than what i'm talking about right now but i just wanted to mention that because it's going to lead into something crazy so uh we get a really eerie scene where oj's talking to his sister and then he goes into the barn because he hears some rustling and this is when you get a scene where i literally was like oh i felt so uncomfortable i i was like is this is where we're going with this cuz i i feel like i was watching signs but it was like it was scarier than that so he sees he's like looking around and then he sees something moving and he's it's a head it's a face it's looking at him it's like a gray the gray face so it looks like a gray man like the the typical look for an alien but it's just like it's moving its head in weird ways and it's crawling weird and you're just like i I'm, I'm, I'm like, holy shit, I'd be running. But like, it's that general reaction of like, Otis wants to get evidence of these things. So like he whips out his very old flip phone. He clearly doesn't want to update. He's got his flip phone. He's trying to take a video and, and they're like coming all the, you know, all over the place. And it's just really eerie. And then one drops in behind him and he punches it in the face. And then you find out it's all a prank. Um, it was all Jupe's kids uh, because earlier, M stole one of his like fake horses and uh, wrapped a cord around it. So to, to kind of lure the uh, lure the alien ship or whatever to, to take it. Cause it, it liked horses. It ends up taking the horse. Um, oh no, I, I think so we get the scene of him reminiscing about, or we see the Gordy's home massacre. And uh, this is when we see that Jupe is going to, he's, he's doing this special show. He's got his wife there. He's actually got the, the, the girl, who, the woman who played his sister. And in the trailer for this movie, when you see there's the scene where she, this woman looks up and she's wearing like a veil and it flails up and she's just, 
she looks terrifying. Like it's it's like she's got no lips. And I thought it was some sort of like weird creature thing. And like it was some sort of illusion. I I, I don't know what it was. I just remember seeing it in the trailer going, what the hell is that? But in reality, in the movie, uh, that is the sister from uh, from Gordy's home. Uh, she survived the attack by Gordy, but she was left severely, severely scarred. She looks horrifying. And uh, she's there to witness uh, this big show that uh, Juke is putting on. And his whole thing is he talks about, like, he's got everybody in the arena and he talks about UFOs and how there's a UFO. The last six months, at this exact time, 6.30, this thing has come and it uh, comes to eat. It, it come, like, and, you know, we're good. We're good. We're on a good, we're, like, you know, we've we've done, like, secret handshakes and stuff. We're cool. And but he like sacrifices a horse in order to attract it, but it's always at a specific time. It's, at least that's what he thinks until it shows up a little earlier. And the horse said, fuck this. I ain't getting out of this box. And the ship goes, well, I'm going to take you all instead. And it is the. It is terrifying as this thing goes over the arena and it just sucks up everybody into it, and you get to see the insides of this. Whatever it may be, it's sucking up everybody. You get to see him like really claustrophobic in these tubes. You're seeing on the inside of all that, and you're like, what the fuck is happening? It's, 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 it's terrifying. So, We so the, so yeah so the the um it takes the the it takes the horse the fake horse so it's got the the string thing it had some like a streamer on it so that they could see where it was located when it was up in the sky so you get the whole thing where um it all happens and there's like, you know, they had an issue. They didn't get any good shots because there was a bug on the, there was a bug on the camera. So they didn't get a good shot of it, but they do realize angel uh, comes in and realizes, Hey, that cloud hasn't moved at all. So it's like, it like sits there and it like stalks them. This is like his territory. And they ultimately realize that it's not a spaceship. This is the big twist. It's not a spaceship. It's an actual alien. Like, it's the ship itself. Like, what we think is the ship is just this alien that can shapeshift. And, like, this form is how it moves, and it's it's really fast. And and we'll get to what we see later on in this movie. But it has, but it, it's hungry, and it's territorial. It wants to eat, so it's been eating the horses. And uh, it takes all the people, eats them. So it comes back to their house and it torments them. It is a terrifying moment. It is pouring rain and like it's hovering over the house. And you get the really cool scene where like you don't see the rain. You see the rain like in the distance kind of coming off because it's running off of it. And they're like, yeah, we ain't coming out. So it just. It. Destroys. Like it just breaks all the people down, just pukes their blood out and all of their belongings that were on them. So that like when you when you see that, then, you know, in earlier in the film that it had done it before. And that's just what all those where all those items went. It was 
it's it's a disturbing scene. It is a it's just like a holy shit. It's 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 a holy shit scene. It's a what the fuck scene. It's unreal. The image of it just like in the darkness, just hovering over the house, and it's just puking up blood, like shitting blood all over this house. It's a it's a wild sight. And so Otis goes to the, the arena and he brings the he he goes to get his horse Lucky, who um is the only horse to make it out of this movie alive. And he goes and gets Lucky and he comes back and he notices that it finds him and then it's like stalking him too. And this is one of the best things. So this movie is called Nope. So uh, there's many things you can go with this. So I think um, one of it is not on planet Earth is what it means. Or just the fact that it's like, you know, if you, you see someone like this, you're just like, nah, nope, not, not, not dealing with that. So he drives up with the truck and he's got the thing in the back and uh, he goes to um, like get out. But he sees he looks up and he sees the ship and the ship and um the, like i said the sound design is unreal so like when he when the sh- when this thing takes up all the people anytime it's flying around you just hear the screaming of of the people inside just like when they took the horse you hear that like really terrifying scream of the horse it's the same thing with the people you just hear them screaming and it's horrifying and He's sitting in the truck and he notices them there and he just shuts the door and he just any real like I would have been it, me too. I would have been like he literally shuts the door. And he's like, nope. 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 And uh, the thing pukes up the horse, the fake horse and like smashes through his window and he just ends up staying there the whole night. The next day, um, he wakes up like hours later and notices like. He's got a little bit of leeway, so he gets them out and they escape in the ship. And he also realizes this is when he kind of realizes like this is this is a creature. This is like a this is an alien. This isn't an alien ship. This is an alien itself. So the the whole thing is like with horses, you never look a horse in the eye because it'll react to it or never look a dangerous animal in the eye because it, it causes it's like a threatening thing. So it's, you know, his big thing is to not look at it directly. Well, you know, and that'll kind of help him. So they escape in the fries, electric uh, electronics car. We get a little bit of a thing where they hang out at, at angels and they try to come up with a plan. And, um, that's when antlers comes back into play. So he was called earlier in the movie about, helping out he was kind of like fuck you i got better things to do as he's watching like videos from like 1968 fucking jaguars getting eat by anacondas i don't know it was a weird thing but he's very old school he's and and he's kind of just like in a don't give a fuck type of mood and he finally once he hears the story about uh jupiter's claim that's when he's just like all right i will i will come you know take a look here so they name it. It's called uh Jean Jacket. That's what the creature is called. And it's so they so their their whole thing is to capture it on camera. They want to make sure they want evidence, they want to try to figure out what this is, but they also want to, you know, I guess become famous in a way. So they 
you know, they do a bunch of things. They set a bunch of traps for it, and it all just it goes it goes pretty crazy. So they set up all the like the wacky inflatable guys that just wave their hands. You know, they got those guys, and then um, they you know set up uh, some other traps for it. And Otis is kind of the bait, but. While all this is going on, you got a TMZ reporter guy, or at least that's what we think he is, who looks like I, I don't know what the fuck this helmet is. It like in in another somebody mentioned that it looked like the Daft Punk, and I was like, yeah, that 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 that, uh, that fits. He comes in and he's it, this this fucking sucked. Other than the fact that like the motorcycle he's riding comes into play a little later, but this character like this was I, I hated this whole this scene was the one thing in the movie I was just like I don't like this like the dude is like in distress he sees this thing he fucking crashes he's like really hurt and all he's worried about is camera and i was like eh, i don't i don't know i guess but i was kind of thrown off by it but so uh oh uh, what's that what is his name um antlers he is filming on an on an imax says imax on the top he's doing old film uh, and you get the joke here where uh, so Angel set up the cameras, his digital cameras to kind of link up to the cameras, uh, the camera system that M can watch. And she asked why his is and is like, well, his is actual film. You know, it's ours is digital. His is film. And, you know, that's why we didn't set it. couldn't set it up. I like that. It's a little nod to the fact that they filmed this entire movie on film. So. Cool, cool little nod there. So another thing that really was kind of like, eh, it was the fact that like uh, antlers needed that, like that golden shot and he ends up just getting eaten by the alien. And I was just like, oh, okay. Well, that was kind of pointless. And um, so the uh, TMZ guy gets eaten, which is fine because he sucked. And that's when like everything just goes haywire. So you think like Angel's about to die, but he ends up like, you know, smart, you know, being smart about it. Like he gets almost gets sucked up, but he's got like barbed wire attached to him. You got OJ who uh, was part of the Scorpion King film like he was part of the crew for the scorpion king back in 2001 which i thought was awesome and he puts on his awesome scorpion king crew sweatshirt and it just it's so funny and 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 danny kaluuya kaluuya is so good he's just so like he's just determined he's got his plan he uh he's trying to distract it and 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 figure it out to to get that shot but unfortunately they have to go to a different plan so m decides she is going to get to the bike because she mentions earlier about how she's good at running bikes and she's going to ride to jupiter's claim and you see earlier in the movie there's a well that you put a coin in and it's actually like it's supposed to be a it takes a picture of you like looking down into the well so her plan is to go to that and constantly just take pictures of it until it gets that perfect shot but she has to lure the thing there so she rides off on the bike the thing uh not to mention this thing transforms into a giant vagina in the sky it literally looks like a vagina 
all right? And it like pulsates and stuff, and it's it's weird. I was just like, what is happening right now? So it chases after her. She does a really cool bike. Like she rides the bike, and then she does a really cool stop, which I guess is from uh, an anime called Akira. Uh, I've never seen it, but it's highly regarded, and I'm going to have to watch it now because that was cool. But it, she does the really cool bike stop, uh, and then she constantly, she lets go. There's a big and giant inflatable man that she releases into the air, which distracts the, which the uh, alien attacks, and it ultimately becomes its downfall, and you get the, the very suspenseful thing where it, every time it takes a picture, it doesn't see it, uh, and then it, it eats the inflatable thing, and it explodes inside, which then ultimately, I guess, kills the alien. She gets the shot, and, um, and OJ survived. You think that he was going to die, but he survives, and it's a. I feel it's it's a solid end. The only thing that I questioned, and I, this is from other people's uh, reactions to this as well, is like we have gone through a lot of a lot of years of people who have given us evidence of paranormal ghosts, of aliens, of just a Bigfoot, of all these things that people. There's a vast number of people who don't believe. Does she think this one picture is going to get people to believe that it's a real alien? Like, did other people see this thing? It's one of those things where we don't really get a clear answer to that, but it's, to be honest, I, I, by the end, I was kind of okay with it. But in reality, it's like, did she go up to somebody and say, hey, look at this picture of an alien, and they just looked at it as like, okay, you could have Photoshopped that, you could have edited that in some way and made it look like, like, it's just the the time we live, it's just, I feel it's not going to, it's not going to pan well for them. It's like, yay, you survived something. It's like, oh, where did all these people go then? Did anybody else see it? It's just one of those things where you kind of question things at the end. Um, but overall, this movie's this movie's great. This movie is just, it, this movie has a lot of frightening moments. It's not per se scary. But it does have some a lot of what the fuck moments, which are pretty on par uh, to that. And um, I just it, it's it's a it's one of those movies like that I can compare to some movies like Jaws. It's I've said it a couple times already in this episode. It, I can compare this movie to Jaws. I think it has got some touches of uh, Close Encounters. It's got some you know, you can connect it to like Jurassic Park in a way. I. When people are on the internet talking about how Jordan Peele is, you know, a modern Spielberger is a a, a Spielberg esque director, you're automatically going to have my vote for anything, and I'm going to watch everything you make because Steven Spielberg is my favorite director of all time. He has made some of my favorite movies of all time, and if there's somebody who is going to be, you know, coming and doing something that is in a similar style or just in the vein of Spielberg. I don't want it to be a replica, you know, to replicate what Spielberg's done, but to have those elements of Spielberg isms, a word I just made up, uh, you know, I I'm in, I'm in every time this movie was awesome. I highly recommend you go see it in IMAX. If you have an IMAX theater near you, I wish I could go see it in an IMAX. I would love to, <laughs> afford to drive two hours to go with an IMAX here to see this again, but unfortunately it's not going to happen. Uh, I can't wait to buy this movie and watch it over and over again because it's it's a memorable movie with great performances and Jordan Peele 
it continues to just blow my mind with the things that he puts out. And I can't wait to watch us so I can say that I've watched all of his stuff and I can, you know, you know and see how much I like that compared to uh, the other two movies I've seen of his. Other than that, guys, that is going to be my the end of my review of Nope. And that is going to be the end of this episode of Fresh Cuts. Thank you so much for for sitting and listening to to me talk uh, for now almost an hour and a half uh, between talking about the black phone and Nope. It's uh, doing these solo shows is a little tough for me. I'm not the best at them. I'm trying to figure things out with that um, because I would like to do some more stuff like this in the future because there are some opportunities where I see stuff that Dan and Angela can't see and I'd like to cover them on the show and uh, doing doing these solo stuff. I feel like I did pretty good. So let me know in the comments. Did I do all right? Please. Also, I'm going to be linking a bunch of stuff in the in the description. Some uh, some podcasts that um were that really helped me with this um with this review. Not personally, they didn't like. I didn't reach out to them. I just I listened to their shows. They and they helped me with some ideas and some things that kept me thinking. Um, that I talked about on the show myself. So those will be down in the description. Um. All of our links, we have a link tree down in the description, which will bring you to all of the podcast services we're on, uh, our YouTube, our Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. That'll be down there as well. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to try to timestamp. Oh, yeah, so there's going to be timestamps in the description so that you guys will be able to pinpoint exactly uh, where things are uh, ending and beginning. Yeah. So you guys can go to wherever you need to go. If you didn't see the black phone, you don't want to watch any of the black phone part. You want to go to just the Nope. You'll be able to do that and you'll know exactly where you have to go. So you don't have to just, you know, you might get spoiled on something you don't want to. But until next time, everybody, I am Brett Parker. This has been dissected film, fresh cuts. And I'll see you all again. Bye.